0: It's recorded that Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Back in the 1950s, there was a man named J. Paul Getty. He was an oil tycoon. Um, he wrote a book called How to Be Rich. He was extremely wealthy billionaire and if you were to take his money during the 1950s and translate it into today's dollars he would they say he'd be worth 7 billion dollars so he's not hurting with cash in his pocket but what's interesting about mr getty is that in his mansion this was back in the 1950s in his mansion he had payphones now if you're not sure what a payphone is you can google that but <laughs> Back in the nineteen fifties in his mansion, he had payphones installed in his mansion for his house guests. Because he didn't want to have to pay for any long distance calls that his house guests might make while they were staying in his mansion. How's that make you feel? Right? Right, stingy? Does that make you, like man? Come on, man. Payphones in your mansion? Because you don't want to have to cover someone's long distance call that they might be making right stingy selfish but did you know that uh, people with a salary of less than 20,000 are eight times more likely to give than someone who makes 75,000 so th- think about that those with less usually give more and did you know that christians are giving of their income to the church. When back during the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. Did you know that only 5% of Christians tithe? Now, if that's a new word for you, that basically meaning they give 10% of their income to the church and only 5% of Christians actually tithe. 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. The average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches is about $17 a week. Let's do the math times four. It's about $68 a month is what we're giving on average. Now, some of you right now are bristling. Here we go. Church is talking about money. And yes, we are. Um, but I can honestly tell you that in the 10 years that we've been together as Living Church, this is the first time ever I've done any kind of series related to financial giving, quite honestly, because if it makes you uncomfortable, it makes me more uncomfortable. Um, So I have avoided it for a very, very long time. And in light of what might be discouraging, maybe depressing statistics, let me say this, this past year for us as Living Church was one of, if not the best financial year of giving we've ever had. So this is not coming from the posture of, we need your money. Okay, so so hear that. So I say that, that this past year was probably the best financial year we've had. Um, And many of you give, and many of you give, and it's a sacrifice for you to give. And so I just want to say thank you for your giving. And we have people that give to Living Church that don't even they don't come to our house churches. They're not coming on Sunday mornings. We have people giving thousands of dollars to the ministry of Living Church that you don't even know simply because they believe in, in you. They believe in what God is doing through you and the impact you're having. And, and so it's important for you to hear that, I think, as we start, the posture of which this is coming from. Um, Yet, yeah, I don't think we can ignore... What we just read, the statistics that we just saw, I mean, those tell us something, right? And, I mean, we may not be billionaires like Mr. Getty, but I wonder if maybe we can sometimes be just as stingy. And stingy with money that's not even ours. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter in the first century, and he said this from the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 36. He says, For from Him are all things, talking about God. From Him are all things. So what's all things? All things. Well, what's that? Your job, your TVs, your 401K, your IRA, your subscriptions to Netflix, Disney Plus, your phone whatever. It's all things. He says, that comes from God. You say, well, I earned it. Yeah. Okay, I earned the money. Yeah, but where'd you get the ability and the thinking and the mind that gives you the ability to do your job? Where'd that come from? From from him, all things. So, we can trace it all the way back if you want, and ultimately, you're going to end up with God, the starting point. It all comes from him. King David understood this, too. If you Go to the book of First Chronicles, chapter 29. And King David and God's people at the time, Israel, they're they're preparing to build this 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 temple, this palace, if you will, where God will have his presence dwell. And one of the things that David says in his prayer back to God is these people come and they give toward this project, he says, we've given you, and he's talking to God here, we've, we've given you only what comes from your hand. It, it all belongs to you. So, so David is basically saying, what we're giving to you, God, is really we're just giving back to you what you first gave to us. It all comes from you. And so here you have two men. You have the Apostle Paul. You have King David. Basically understanding a very foundational principle when it comes to giving is that everything comes from God. Everything. And so um, let's imagine in this suitcase, right, is everything that you would identify as yours. Everything in this suitcase, all right? It's, it's yours. So your income, whatever you make, right, your bank accounts, your savings accounts, your emergency funds, your allowance, your paycheck. This is it in your suitcase. Your stuffed animals, pets. Tools, I have very few because I don't know how to use them. But tools,
1: vacation, skyline, chili, blessing from the Lord,
0: um, your home. Might be a little bit bigger than this. Actually, that's just a Lego. Just imagine it's imagine it's your home. I grab that. I'm like, oh, it's one of those homes from the game. Like that's just a Lego. But imagine your home, right? Everything that's in your home, um, all come, your appliances, you name it. Everything in here, right? That you would identify as yours came from God. It's like His gift to you. And so it's all, it it all comes from somewhere. It comes from him. And so when we take something out of our suitcase, if you will, and, and let's say we're going to give it to God, to his people, we're actually just taking something that God has already given to us and just giving it back to him. Is that making sense? Right? And that's foundational to understand when it comes to, to giving and to giving generously. And So we're going to spend the next several weeks in in the month of January just looking at the spiritual discipline of generous giving. Why? A couple reasons. When I look at what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then I see the example of the first century church disciples and how generous they were. We can't avoid this. Just no matter how uncomfortable it may make me feel or you feel, we can't avoid talking about this because this seems to be a discipline, a spiritual discipline that God expects from his people. So we, no matter how awkward it may be for you to hear it and me to teach on it, we can't avoid it. We shouldn't. So we're going to spend some time looking at this, this discipline because we need to be equipped in it. But a, a second reason for us to spend time on this is simply comes from what Jesus said. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what's that tell? It says, Jesus tells us there's there's a joy, and that word blessing literally means happiness. There's There's a And a happiness that you get, that you receive when you give. And it's it's a happiness that's even better than if you're the one on the receiving end. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. So if that's true, I want that. I want that for my kids, so I want to teach and train my kids to be generous givers. I want that for you. I want that for your family. I want that for your kids. I want that for uh, your house church. I want that for us. Because Jesus is saying there is a joy, there's a a happiness, a a blessing that comes from being someone who's generous in giving. And so we're going to spend some time, as I said, looking at this over the next um, several weeks. And our home base for this teaching is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. But before us... Before we can go there, to help us understand the situation that Paul is writing about and writing to in 2 Corinthians 8, we need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, so join me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, all right, verses 1 through 4, because here we're going to get kind of a glimpse into the situation to which Paul is writing when he writes 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. he says now concerning the collection for the saints as i directed the churches of galatia so you also are to do on the first day of every week each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when i come and when i arrive i will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to jerusalem if it seems advisable that i should go also they will accompany me now now what's happening here is that paul would make visits to different house churches and when he would go visit house churches, he would encourage them to take an offering. And to take an offering to help disciples of Jesus who lived in Jerusalem who were struggling financially. And that's what he says to collection for the saints. Where? Carry your gift to Jerusalem. So there were disciples of Jesus living in Jerusalem who were struggling financially. And so Paul, when he would make a visit to a specific house church or a region of house churches, he would encourage him, hey, there's some needs here in this other these uh, house churches in another part of the world. Would you be open to uh, taking a collection and, and using that money to help meet these needs? And so he would just encourage these churches to give. And and Paul had some issues or some some questions about the Corinthian house churches. He had some problems with them, um, and so he he mentions this in his second letter. I think he just because he wants them to make sure they follow through on what they committed. They've committed verbally, hey, we're going to take an offering to help these Christians in Jerusalem. So Paul mentions it in his second letter to remind them, hey, don't forget what you said you were going to do. And then he uses example of other house churches to encourage them to follow through on their word. So that's kind of the situation that's going on here. Now, now let me give you a little, a couple side items that I think are important for us as living church to see from what's happening here. Is What you see happening in the first century are multiple house churches in different regions— Individual, yet connected. Does that sound familiar? I certainly hope so. That's us. That's, that's Living Church. We're multiple house churches in different areas, different regions, yet connected together. And I say that because you need to know that what we're doing is nothing new. It's very old, it's very ancient. It's very first century. It's in the Bible. We read about it. Right? People will say, well, where would you come up with this idea about house churches? And I don't want to insult them, but I'm like, the Bible. You know, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. What else do you want to? Know? I mean, it's just kind of, you know, so it's kind of like what we're doing is not anything new. It's, it's just we're just trying to follow the practice of what we see first century disciples doing. Multiple house churches coming together. Independent, yet yet connected. And, and I think you need to, to know that. I think that's important for you to understand. Because it, it's like us. It's why we do what we're doing. Because we see that happening in the first century and in Scripture. Uh, uh, another side item I think that's important for, for you to know and understand about what's happening here is that in, in this situation, you have multiple house churches, right, different regions, and you have need happening in one house church that um, there's financial needs over in this region, in these house churches, and now you have Paul going, hey, there's needs over here. Would you guys be open to taking a collection to help the needs of, of a house church over here? And that's what's happening. And, and and you need to know, that's what's happening here. Let me give you a recent example. About a month or so ago, a need came up in our Anderson house church, a financial need of someone in our house church. And and. Um, so we talked about it as our house church, and then I was having lunch with Jeremy, Jeremy Ellis, and he pastors house church in Northern Kentucky. I said, hey, um, there's this need here. What do you think about just sharing that with your house church? And do you think you'd be cool with that? And you think your group might want to jump in and, and help? Meet that need, and I'd been studying for the series and all. That. I'm like, man, I just see this. I think we need to be more like that. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So he shares that with his house church, and so their house church takes a collection, and their house church took a collection, came up and out of. And, and keep in mind, people in their that house church, they don't necessarily know. Not all of them know the the situation or the persons that we're talking about in our house church. And their house church gave almost a thousand dollars to help meet a need in a different house church. And then between the two house churches, almost $2,000 was collected to help meet a need. So what we're reading about in the first century is happening in the 21st century through you. That's awesome to me. That's great. I have goosebumps. You should have goosebumps. Tell yourself to get goosebumps right now because this is good. It's good. And so I, I just think it's important for you to know what you're part of and that you can see it. And so as we, as we understand the situation, let's go to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 8. And, and from these verses at Paul and from this letter of Paul, I think we can pull out some biblical principles behind the spiritual discipline of generous giving. Some biblical principles for the spiritual discipline of, of generous giving. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Follow. I want to read all 15 verses, then I'll come back and kind of unpack it for us. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So churches of Macedonia which would include like Philippi, Thessalonica, and now he's writing to house churches in Achaia, which would be the city of Corinth. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now let's go back to verse one and let me unpack some biblical principles I think we can pull out from here as it relates to this discipline of generous giving. The first principle I think we can see is that generous giving is a tangible expression of God's grace in your life. It's a tangible expression of having received God's grace in your life. Where do we see this? We'll look at verse one. He says, "Uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. And he's specifically talking about Using that phrase to talk about this collection, this money that they've given. Then verse six go down and if you read there, he says, uh, accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. He's talking about their giving and using the phrase act of grace to describe it. Again in verse seven, but as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Again he's talking about giving and he's using this phrase act of grace. And so he's saying, listen, when you give, you're actually expressing God's grace. Giving is tangible. It's something that you can feel. It's something that you can experience. It's it's tangible. And so when you give, you are actually giving a tangible expression of something that God first gave to you. Remember, right? Everything that you have is in here, right? That was given to you by God. So when you take something out and you're giving it, if these are things that have that you've, been, you've received because of God's grace toward you, when you take something out and give it away, you are expressing God's grace in your life. Grace is, is, is meant to be given away. And he's saying when you give and give generously, you are actually expressing tangibly God's grace to the person who is receiving it. And you as the giver, you are experiencing God's grace as you're giving it. When our kids were younger and they were unable to, to work or get allowance or whatever around Christmas time, you know, we would want them to experience that, the gift of giving, right? We're, that we want them to experience it, so we would, you know, give them money to go to the store and, and buy Christmas presents for their brothers and sisters or extended family, Right, and and maybe you do this, and maybe your your parents did that with you. I don't know, but so we would, you know, give them each five dollars or whatever, and then we'd take them to the store, and they would go buy presents and and all of that. And but it was our money, it was mom and dad's money, and it was our money. Yet they went and used it, and from the money that we gave them, they would give expressions of love to whoever, siblings, parents, and God does the same thing with us, right? He He gives us. All this, it's all from him. And and so now he says, hey, yeah, when you take something out and you give it away, you're actually giving an expression of my grace to someone else. And he gives us that privilege, that opportunity. And so the first principle is really generous giving is a tangible expression of God's grace in your life. So if you want to express the grace of God in a tangible way, you want to experience God's grace in a tangible way, give generously. Second principle, generous giving is not determined by how much you make or your circumstance, but the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He says these people are going through it. Severe affliction, deep poverty. These people are dirt poor. And not only are they poor, They're going through super hard times. So if the decision of giving was based on how much you make or your circumstance, these people had every reason not to give. But they gave. They gave anyway. Why? Because they had this abundant joy. This joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And so they were not focused on what they didn't have, but they were focused on what they did have. Christ. They had this relationship with the God who'd given them everything. And so out of that joy of knowing Jesus, they're like, we're going to give. We're going to give. And so don't let what you don't have keep you from the joy of giving. Does that make sense? Don't let what you don't have keep you from experiencing this joy that comes from giving. If you have the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, you have every reason to give. Every reason to give, and to give generously. Third, generous giving is not about how much you give, but that you get to give. Look at verses 3 and 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And Then if you look at verse 12, he says this. For if the readiness or eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So giving is not so much about how much you give, but that you get to give. He's saying these people gave beyond their means. Now, keep in mind, they're poor. They're dirt poor. They don't have anything. But not only did they give, they gave beyond what they could give. And they're begging Paul to take part of this. They're nagging him. They're saying, absolutely, we want to be part of this. We want to give to that. We want to give to help meet those needs. So they're, they're begging him. They're nagging him saying we want to give. And I'm sure, I mean they're poor. They're in an extreme poverty situation. They're going through hard times. I'm sure that the amount that they gave wasn't much. But it wasn't about that. It was the fact that they could give. It wasn't about how much could they give but that they could give. And so they did. And that was their focus. When When Luke, our our son, was was young. He was probably three years of age or so. And going back to that time when we would give our kids money to purchase Christmas presents, we were going to spend Christmas with Andrea's parents down in Virginia. And Luke was, like I said, he was three. And so we gave him some money. And Andrea took him to the store. And, um, you know, he bought these presents for his papa and grandma. And so it's Christmas morning. And uh, grandma is there, and she opens this present from to grandma from Luke, you know, and Luke's all excited and eager, can't wait for grandma to open this this present that he got with our money. But he got it right, and he was so excited, he was, couldn't wait for all us to open our presents from him. And so um, she opens it, and she's like, "Oh, I don't remember what it was, you know." And and, and she just looks at it, she's, like, "Oh, it's so beautiful, Luke. Luke, where'd you get this?" And just being, he's like from the dollar store, right? He was just like so excited. We're like, yeah, right? It wasn't about where he got it from or how much it was, but he was so excited because he got to give. He was eager to give. And so it's not so much about how much, but that you get to. And we see that in these, in these disciples in the first century. And I wonder, does that describe your heart? Does that describe my heart? Do we see giving as a drudgery? Or do we see it as a privilege and opportunity that we get to be part? Uh, four principle, fourth one. Generous giving flows from a heart that surrendered to Jesus. Giving flows from a heart that surrendered to Jesus, verse five. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. These disciples had first surrendered their lives to Jesus. They, by faith, were placing themselves into and under the care of Jesus himself. And by faith, we're saying, okay, we're yours, Jesus. So as we give, we know you're going to provide. We know you're going to take care of us. So by faith, we're surrendering ourselves to you first. And then out of that surrender, we are going to give and we're going to give generously. And if we go back to first Corinthians 29 and King David, and he said first, before he asked them to give, before they come and give, he says, who will first consecrate yourself to the Lord? And so what you see is that giving flows out of a heart that's surrendered to Jesus. It flows out of a heart that's surrendered. It's It's something that actually reflects your surrender in a lot of ways. And so if if that's true, then it would seem that the more surrendered you become, the more generous you become. And you can tell how surrendered you are by your giving. It's a reflection of your surrender. It's a reflection of your faith in Jesus. Fifth principle. Generous giving expresses your love and gratitude for Jesus and what he's done. And we see this verses 7 through 9, but as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 8, I don't I'm not commanding you to do this, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And then here's the kicker. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul's saying, I'm not commanding you to give to this. And you're like, Oh, good, that's great. He actually goes bigger than that, right? He said, the motivation for your giving is not me commanding you to give. The motivation for your giving is the generous love of Jesus toward you and what Jesus gave and has given to you. That's the motivation for giving. Paul's like, I shouldn't have to command you to give. When you understand the gospel and when you understand how much the Father loves you, so much that he sent his son willingly onto a cross, to bleed on that cross, to bring you into the family of God. When you understand how much was given for you, I won't have to command you to give. You'll want to give. And someone who understands that will want to give. Will want to. And so our, our giving flows out of an understanding, out of a gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Right? It, it, it's like all this stuff that you understand... That Jesus has given you not just the physical stuff, but forgiveness, relationship with the God of the universe, community with his church. When you understand there's so much more in here than you can even imagine or see, when you get a hold of that, you'll want to give. You won't need to be commanded to, but you'll want to because you realize how much Jesus loves you. He loves you. Gr- love and gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. And he, he says that you're rich. Well, how are you rich? Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul is writing, and he says, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. An heir. And if you look, go back to verse 1 of Galatians 4, he basically says, what's an heir? He says, an owner of everything. And when you understand that through the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb that God and his grace toward you, and by, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him, God and his grace makes you an heir. An owner of everything that is His. So it's like God says, "What's in my suitcase is now yours." When you get a hold of that, and we begin to understand that, how can you not give? You'll want to when we grasp that. And that's purely out of the grace and generosity and love of God toward us. And then last, last principle. What I want us to see is that generous giving is not meant to be a burden on a few, but shared by all disciples. And we see that in verses 10. 11, 13 through 15. He says this, And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Go down to verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. What's what's the point? I think the point that Paul is trying to make here is that everyone needs to be giving. Everyone, Everyone needs to be giving. Givers are going to be receivers, and receivers need to be givers. It's shared by all. And so that when you have a need, you can know and have confidence that there's going to be people who are going to step up and help meet your need when, it, when, when the time comes. And so that's what he's saying. It, it's not meant to be a burden on a few, but shared by all disciples. And so I want you to imagine, imagine for a moment, as we think through these principles, imagine if every disciple of Jesus, everyone, actually grabbed a hold of this, got a hold of the gospel, so overwhelmed with the love of Christ for us, that how can we not give? And every one of us gave. And let's just imagine... Just just imagine that every disciple gave 10 percent. Let's just imagine, let's just start with that number, that everyone gave, every disciple gave 10 percent. Imagine the difference that could make. Just imagine the impact that that could have. Well, what kind of impact could that have? Let's watch this, this video because I think it will bring to light the kind of impact that we could have if we truly grab a hold of this discipline of giving.
1: Global impact would be phenomenal. Here's just a few things the global church could do with that kind of money. 25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 per day. 1 billion Fund all overseas mission work. 100 to 110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. Those are some amazing numbers. The real problem when it comes to our giving is not about money. The truth is, giving is a heart issue, not a money issue. When we start with our heart by saying, if you say so, like Simon did, and we submit ourselves to Christ's command, we change our lives.
0: I watched that, and I was like, I was blown away by that. That's incredible to me, of the, the opportunity that, that's in front of us as God's people. And so as we think about what the Spirit of God is saying to us about this discipline of generous giving, what's the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? And so what now? What's the response? Right? What's the challenge? I, I think the challenge, the application is pretty clear. Give. And give generously. And And many of you do. And for that, I'm so thankful. And Jesus said, there's a joy waiting for you as the giver. That's there waiting for you. And I know some of us hear this and we bristle, right? And we're like, ugh. If you're there, if that's you, then I want to encourage you. And as I need to encourage all of us is to take time this week and just start to rehearse and revisit all that's in your suitcase. All that God has given you. All of us need to do this. Maybe over lunch today, you're just going to sit and just talk about what's, what are the things that God's given and put in your suitcase. And just talk. And as you begin to become overwhelmed with God's grace in your life, let that move you to give. Not out of obligation, but as a thank you, as an expression of gratitude for all that God has given you. And so what's the Spirit of God saying to you? And, and let me talk to the kids. Kids, let me give you a little challenge this morning. If you get an allowance, all right, or something like that, and I want to encourage you to start praying and asking God to put on your heart a desire to give. Because when you give, right, and you give to, to God or you give to help me to need, it's like you're sending Jesus a thank you note. And you're saying, Jesus, I'm giving. And my giving is like saying thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. So, when you give, it's like you're just writing a thank you note to Jesus, saying, Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. And so, what's the Spirit of God saying to you this morning about this discipline, this privilege of giving? If you would just bow your head and close your eyes with me.
1: What's He saying to you this morning?